0: Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators, and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is episode 86. There are over 1.2 billion people living in Africa and another 1.3 billion living in India. Together, they account for about 34% of the world's population. These two regions represent some of the highest levels of healthcare burden, but some of the lowest numbers of healthcare professionals. For example, in Africa, there are only 2.3 healthcare workers per 1,000 people. Compare that to the Americas, where you'll find there are more than 10 times as many, nearly 25 healthcare workers per 1,000 people. To look at it another way, Africa has a deficit of 2.4 million doctors and nurses, So if you're looking for a place where you can have a really huge impact, there are a few big targets for you in the 54 countries of Africa, plus another 1.3 billion people in India. In previous programs, we've spoken with leaders who are developing solutions and models that help serve the people in these underserved communities. Some other episodes that you can reference include Episode 13 with KP Yalpala, founder and CEO at Access Mobile. Episode 14 with Neil Jordan. He's the worldwide general manager of health for Microsoft. And episode 26 with Kate Newhouse when she was CEO of Doctor Care Anywhere. I encourage you to go back and tune into those episodes to hear what other companies and leaders are doing to innovate and transform health. You can find links to those conversations in the show notes for this episode, which are of course available at digitalhealthtodaycom eighty-six. In this episode, I spoke to Emmanuel Blen. Emmanuel is the founder and CEO of Tech Care for All. He grew up in sub-Saharan Africa, and he has a deep commitment to addressing the challenges and inequalities that are present there. In 2017, after 20 years of service in the pharmaceutical industry, Emmanuel decided to invest his energy in changing health outcomes in the poorest corners of our world. He created a for-profit social impact company called Tech Care for All, whose goal is to accelerate digital health in Africa and Asia as a key enabler to improving health outcomes in underserved communities. His vision is to bridge the very best digital health innovation that's happening across the U.S., Asia, Europe, and Africa. Emmanuel is a digital health and social impact entrepreneur, and he lives in Brussels with his wife and four children. You can pick up the notes, links, and other details from this conversation by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 86. And now, without further ado, let's tune into the conversation with Emmanuel Blen of Tech Care for All. Emmanuel, thanks for joining me, and welcome to the program. Thank you, Dan. Emmanuel, you and I connected in January of this year at the Startup Health Festival that was in San Francisco just at the start of the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, and I was really taken by the talk that you gave on stage. I actually looked for the video of that talk, but I couldn't find it. If that does become available, I will make sure that I I link it into the show notes, but I was really moved by what you're working on. We're going to do a dive into the organization that you're leading now and the work that's being done there, but first, give me a little bit of the backstory.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I spent uh, 20 years at Bristol Myers Squibb, and and the last two years, I was a member of the Executive Committee, Chief Strategy Officer, and Co-Head of Commercial. And as a Strategy Officer, I really spent a lot of time focusing on digital health innovation and how uh, all these innovations happening in the digital health space could really help accelerate the execution of the commercial and R&D strategy of Bristol Myers Squibb. I met a ton of entrepreneurs, both on the West Coast, the East Coast, in Europe and in Asia, and I quickly came to the conclusion that those innovations could be disproportionately useful in uh, healthcare systems, which are uh, low resourced. And uh, if you think about that, I mean, e-health in general is something that can be extremely useful in countries where you don't have enough doctors, enough hospitals, enough nurses, so that's really from this insight into the disproportionate value of digital health for uh, low and medium income countries that I decided to create a Care
0: So you go back 20 years, that's quite a long time in terms of technology. I mean, uh, we're recording this in 2019. If you go back to 1999, uh, it was just really the beginning of the first Internet boom. So what sort of changes did you see? You mentioned that you saw a lot in your last two years there at Bristol-Myard Square, but between where you started and where you finished, what sort of transformations did you see within the organization and within the industry as a whole?
1: Yeah, I mean, I saw uh, significant changes in the commercial space where, I mean, clearly maybe slower than in other industries, but uh, digital marketing started uh, to become much more important in the go-to-market models of the industry i saw the industry actually being challenged on how to build multi-channel commercialization strategies which are leveraging both technology and people and and making sure that they are working together with um, all the uh, transformations that happen in terms of how Commercial organizations need to work, uh, medical, marketing, and sales. So I saw that uh, firsthand. Even more importantly, especially in the later part of my career at BMS, I could see a lot of transformations happening in the R&D space with the advent of uh, big data processing capabilities, um, the availability of genomic data. The uh, emergence of uh, artificial intelligence and its applications in the domain of healthcare, I mean, I can see significant acceleration in the discovery processes of industry. I can see significant transformations happening as well in the clinical development space. And so clearly I could see, especially in the last 10 years, I could see digital, new digital technologies really transforming the way R&D is done. And I think we are only at the beginning of that journey still where, you know, precision medicine, as we call it, is clearly the future and is clearly enabled by an ability to identify a very finely defined targets very early on for new drug and a new mechanism of action. So significant changes, both in commercial and in R&D over the period.
0: I mentioned at the start that you grew up in sub-Saharan Africa and you're focused now on bridging the technologies and the solutions between the East and the West and underserved populations. Let's talk about some of the things that people are experiencing in these parts of the world that are so desperately underserved. Can you give me any sort of stats or experiences either on a personal or micro level or macro level about the sorts of experiences that these populations are having?
1: Yeah, so I think you know you, you can take the two sides, uh, the two extreme sides, the two bookends if you want of healthcare. So on one hand, if you look at primary care, rural healthcare, healthcare in in remote areas, I mean, what you find actually is uh, health posts, primary care settings where you don't find any doctors. And uh, in many countries in sub-Saharan Africa, people need to travel uh, for more than 50 kilometers in order to see a doctor. So in those parts of the world, in the rural areas, I mean, clearly how to enable access to care, access to expertise, access to a doctor is a very significant priority. And uh, that's where anything that has to do with M-Health, mobile health, telemedicine applications, connected diagnostics application can really... Really help solve that problem of distance to doctor. There is a very simple issue of distance to doctors, distance to hospitals, where you know villagers have. I mean, I saw villagers creating uh, a wallet <laughs> for people to travel to the city to see a doctor, and uh, I saw people who were badly sick, not even trying to get to a doctor, or afraid of a bus trip, uh, or even in some cases uh, afraid of a uh, walking trip. So. This is happening everywhere across sub-Saharan Africa, and that's a major, major need that you can see firsthand when you travel and visit and work in those countries. On the other hand, uh, if you look at the hospitals themselves, there is a very significant need for having more specialists. If you take the example of cancer, oncology, that I know a bit better than others in in sub-Saharan Africa, I mean, there is a very big lack of organ specialists. Uh, What you will find is a lot of... uh, generalist oncologists, but not necessarily lung cancer, prostate cancer, breast cancer specialists. So how to enable transfer of expertise, transfer of organ expertise to general oncologists across the continent is another big priority in oncology. Uh, and you will find the same in, in other um, disease areas, in neuroscience, in psychiatry, even in cardiology, in surgery in general. So there is a very big need for accelerating knowledge transfer and uh, accelerating building up of local experts and local expertise in sub-Saharan Africa.
0: So you've mentioned the lack of personnel to actually serve these specialist areas. You've mentioned the distance that people have. And there's also just a shortage of health workers overall. So what's the solution? What are you hoping to achieve through establishing this new organization?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, there is not one solution, but uh, if you take the two, I think, bigger issues or gaps or unmet needs we need to address in those countries, which are really around access to care, remote access to care, and knowledge transfer and knowledge dissemination within the medical community, the healthcare community. What we have been doing so far is that we have built a portfolio of technologies which are basically helping address those unmet needs. So we we have telemedicine technology, which is really something that you could look at as a primary care in a box, which uh, really enables uh, remote diagnostics to happen, data to be transferred, online consultation to happen, e-prescription to happen, online ordering of drugs to happen. So it's how do you enable care to be delivered locally in the absence of a doctor? And this technology, we found it in India. It's called Remedy. Uh, It has already been uh, implemented in in more than 4,000 healthcare centers in India. And we are now looking at accelerating the implementation, the availability of the technology in India and finding a way to actually implement it at scale across uh, sub-Saharan Africa. And uh, when you look at the second very big unmet need or gap or knowledge transfer, we are In the process of implementing uh, a technology that is what we call a medical learning hub, which is really connecting people who have knowledge, who have training capabilities, especially in in a lot of the bigger hospitals of South Africa and in India, and how to make this knowledge and this expertise available very easily on your fingertips to people who need it. And so that's a technology which is a blend of the French and American technologies that we have put together in a platform and that we are currently uh, implementing across sub-Saharan Africa and in India. So it's really about, you know, our job, I think, is to find the technologies that work, that are already proven, that have been implemented somewhere. Not reinvent the wheel, but find ways to make them local in as many countries as possible. So that's what my company is about. It's how... To implement at scale those technologies that somewhere do already change healthcare and improve healthcare in low-resource settings and how to make them available to much more patients, much more doctors, much more countries, much more healthcare workers, much more nurses. And
0: uh, that's really what we are about. So by how do you do that? I mean, everyone who's listening, uh, most of the people I imagine who's listening want to do that in some capacity. They want to look at what's available in terms of the latest technology and they want to find ways to put it into practice or to have their product to put into practice. So given the areas of the world and the sort of challenges that you're facing, what's unique about that and how do you address that in a unique way? Because you found these solutions, you found this remedy, you found this medical learning hub And then what are some of the things that you have to address that perhaps we don't have to address where we have the luxury of other systems that are already put in place?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, clearly, you know, first of all, we are not spending our money on developing technologies that already exist. So we are spending our money on building local operations that enable the implementation of those technologies in multiple countries. So we have operations in India, we have operations in West Africa out of our Dakar regional office in Senegal, and we have operations in Eastern Africa out of our regional office based in Nairobi. So we have been investing in building local footprint. And in addition to that, we have been investing in building partnerships with local companies, IT companies, which have already a footprint in the regions where we operate. So for West Africa, we are partnered with a company, called Neurotech, which is based in Dakar, but has operations across West Africa. In Nairobi, we are partnered with a company called Savannah Informatics, which has operations across Eastern Africa. And in India, we are partnered with a company called Bridio, which is a very significant Indian IT company. So we are actually allocating our own resources, not to redevelop tools and technologies that have already been developed. We are spending some of our capital to actually localize them. But much more importantly, we are spending our money in terms of building the commercialization and implementation capabilities that are needed locally because at the end of the day, healthcare ecosystems are local. So you need to have local operations. You need to have a network of local partners and operations who can actually implement in their local context. So that's the first thing that is very specific about our company. The second one is really about... There needs to be money. You need to look at how do you finance implementation in a sustainable way. So where we are as well somehow specific is that we are really uh, focusing on bringing the private sector on board from pharma to med tech to insurance companies to telecom companies to banking firms. We are really uh, working with those corporations to really help them leverage these innovations in digital health to serve their own strategies and their own business goals, and whilst doing it, really improving healthcare in those countries. So that's that's a clear area of focus.
0: I'm speaking with Emmanuel Blen, the founder and CEO of Tech Care for All, a social impact organization that's focused on improving outcomes in underserved areas by delivering technology and training. We'll take a short break to hear from one of our sponsors, an organization whose support enables us to do what we do here share the stories, knowledge, and experiences of leaders that are working to transform health for billions of people around the world. Emmanuel, you were just explaining how Tech Care for All is working to build local partners and capabilities to support people in India and Africa, and how you're working with private companies to serve both health and business goals. That sort of for-profit, sustainable business model sounds very different to the charity-based or NGO approach that's been taken by many organizations in the past. Why and how does this work? And what is your organization doing to ensure that what you create is actually sustainable over the long term?
1: Well, we are slightly different, we believe, is that we are not providing solutions. We are not pushing solutions. We are first spending time and resources to understand the problems. It's not like solution is looking for a problem. So we are making the effort anytime we are uh, working with a partner, a potential customer, whether it's a private company or a government or a public healthcare system, we are really spending the time that we think is needed to really understand the problem that needs to be addressed. So, for example, we are currently working with the government of Senegal on really understanding, you know, how they should go about implementing telemedicine in the country, how should they go about implementing an electronic patient file in the country. And instead of pushing our solutions, we are first spending a lot of time with the government, with all the key stakeholders in the country, really understanding what what are really the issues we need to solve. So that's why, by the way, I have a partnership with a consulting firm uh, that is based both in France and in Morocco to really help us do that. It's called Care and Partners. Part of my team is based in the US, in New York, uh, where I have someone who has a very long experience in the public global health space and who is really helping us access to the big funders, the big uh, organizations uh, which are committed to improve healthcare in sub-Saharan Africa and India and which have funds that they are ready to invest behind sustainable projects. And that's what we are Bringing to the table because we are a for-profit company is that is this element of sustainability. I need to be sustainable as a company, so I need to build projects and I need to implement projects that are designed as being sustainable.
0: We first spoke about this sort of issue back on episode thirteen in the podcast with KP Yalpala, who's the founder and CEO of Access Mobile. Uh, He's a first generation Ghanaian American, if I'm saying that correctly. I hope he'll forgive me if I'm saying it incorrectly. But he he actually worked for, I think it was the Clinton Foundation and a few other charities, uh, NGOs, trying to get work done at the coalface there in Africa, and then uh, realized that there was a sustainable business model that could actually be utilized instead. If Coca Cola can get uh, their products into the, the center of Africa, then why can't we get the medications and things that we need into some of these regions? So I'm glad that you've taken this sort of approach, this sort of business mindset to it. But the big question a lot of people have is, well, how do you actually commercialize? How do you actually put in place a business model that is sustainable? You've got these organizations that have these goals for their companies and for their investments. How do you actually put that into practice with the level of need and the lack of resources that exist in communities like this? Yeah,
1: so we are working on uh, on three pillars here to make things sustainable. So the number one is innovative financing. So there are quite a lot of mechanisms today available when it comes to social impact bonds, development impact bonds, which are enabling the funding of sustainable solutions where you need to deliver results and KPIs uh, in order for the investors to get their money back and in order for the government or, or big private corporation to take the tab. If they have the evidence that actually what you have been doing for five, seven years is working and delivering results and really improving healthcare. So that's why we are in partnership with an organization called COIS, which is one of our investors in India, and uh, which is helping us work on those uh, innovative financing mechanisms for some of our projects. So as the number one pillar of how do you build sustainable business models. The second one is really working with private for-profit companies, corporations, because the day you are embedded in a business model that works for them, you know that there is a better chance that what you are doing is sustainable. And the third one is clearly, whenever we are doing something, we are focused on building the evidence and the data that governments will need at some point to take the project back and decide to finance it. So... One of the biggest issues in in public health, in global health projects in those countries is that you do something for two, three, five years, and at the end of that, there is really no evidence and no data that you can supply back to payers to tell them, hey, this is good usage of your money. This is a good investment. There is a real return. You are creating jobs. You are creating GDP. You are creating economic activity. You are improving health outcomes. So... There are very hard-nosed reasons and significant reasons to continue, push, and make the the implementation really sustainable. So these are really the three dimensions. Innovative financing, bringing the private sector as much as we can, and then building the evidence and the data that people need to continue to finance over time.
0: Sounds like a great initiative and a great organization, and we wish you a lot of luck. The last question I have for you is that we have a very active global community of listeners and i'd like to know what is it that you need how can people get involved and how can they support the work that you're doing
1: you know there are really two reasons to reach out to us you know one you are running a healthcare system in a uh, in uh, in sub-saharan uh, africa or in india public or private and you think that uh, you need to improve skills in your system and you think that telemedicine is part of infrastructure you need to build talk to us because we are really focused on those two dimensions of improving outcomes. Uh, One is how to build a better skill base. Second, how to reach uh, populations that are not really rich today. So if you run healthcare systems, private, public, talk to us. And second, you know, if you are a corporation, if you are working within a corporation that is in, in pharma, in med tech, in banking, insurance, telecom, and you think that healthcare can be part of your business model, one way or the other, and you think that there is, with all these digital innovations, new opportunities to invest, generate revenues, and profits on the African continent and in India, talk to us as well because uh, we would be very glad to see how we can partner with you.
0: Emmanuel, I hope you'll come back and give us an update and let us know how things are going. This is a very important problem that you're working to solve and want to give you all the support that we possibly can to make sure that you're successful in helping the people in these areas. Anything else you want to say before I let you go?
1: No, thank you very much, Dan. And uh, I look forward to continuing this conversation with you as we are making progress. Thank you so much.
0: That was Emmanuel Blend, founder and CEO of techcare for all Their website is tc4a.com, tc4a.com. the number four, a.com. And of course, you can find that link and the notes from our conversation by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 86. While you're looking at your phone, please take a moment to give us a quick review on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. You can also contact me directly with any suggestions or requests. You can find me on email at Dan at DigitalHealthToday.com or on Twitter at HealthTechDan. As always, thank you for being a part of our community and for doing your part to push the industry forward. Thanks again to my guest, Emmanuel Blen. And of course, many thanks to our sponsors for supporting our work here. I'll speak to you again in episode 87. And until next time, keep on innovating.